Hey friends! This is Allison and Becky. And you're listening to Two American Peas in a Mexican Podcast. Woohoo! A single woman who has just graduated from college, who doesn't speak Spanish or understand the Mexican culture, moves to Mexico to serve God there for a year. Then God completely changes her plans and her future. We get to listen to her story on today's episode. So, hey everybody, we're back to American Peas in a Mexican podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey everyone. And today we're going to be talking about Becky and hearing her story, and I'm really excited about it. Really, I know your story, Becky, but it'll be fun to hear it from your your point of view all the way through. I'm excited to tell it. Yeah. So I want to begin by telling a couple stories of... uh, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I want to begin by telling a couple stories about Becky. (laughs) And I've been thinking about it so double whammy because I don't think I let you think about it very long for yours. But the first one I want to tell is about Becky's um, competitiveness. And it's a story that's funny about her, but it's also kind of tells on myself a little bit too. So it's a a double whammy. Um, So we were at the ranch and I believe that we were in my little house at the ranch and we were playing spoons. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know it's coming. (laughs) And if you know how to play spoons, you know that the the deal is you (laughs) you pass around, you have the number of spoons on your table equal to the number of people that are playing minus one. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like musical chairs with spoons. And so you pass around one by one cards and everybody has four cards in their hand and they try to get four matching cards in their hand. And when you get four matching cards without being noticed, you try and grab a spoon. And if you notice someone else grab a spoon, then you grab a spoon as well and so on until one person is left without a spoon. So, and I just have to say, I'm a really, really good at spoons. Like I have a strategy and it works. (laughs) Well, I would just like to say that I'm also good at spoons. (laughs) I have no strategy, but it also works. Anyway, so we were playing spoons and it came down to Becky and I were the last two players and there was only one spoon between (laughs) us and we passed the, the cards around to each other and every, when you get down to the last two people, every time you take a card, you go real slow. (laughs) So kind of like. Kind of like musical chairs, you uh-huh, know how you uh-huh. linger so that you will be the first to grab the spoon. Anyway, I was not getting anything that matched. So I was pretty sure from the get-go that I was not going to win that thing. So I just started watching Becky's body language. And I realized right when she got her fourth matching card, I realized it right away. So I just snatched that spoon up. 
And that just made Becky hit the roof so much that she jumped up and practically jumped over the table at me <laughs> and tackled me down to get that spoon back. And it's still up in the air. Who actually won? If you want to hear Becky's side, go for it, Beck. So you can write in and tell Allison, everyone, that <laughs> if you grab the spoon before you have the four matching cards, it doesn't count. The rules, even when you were explaining the game just now, you said you have to have four matching cards and then you grab the spoon. I would just like to say that cheaters never prosper. And I'm done talking about it. <laughs> I did not tell Becky ahead of time what story I was going to tell on her because I wanted it to be fresh. So anyway, yes, please, please write in and opinionate. But I would just like to rebut one little thing. And that is that every single time you play spoons, there are a number of people that are grabbing the spoons without four of the same. Because the first person already grabbed yes, it. Yes, but they still... <laughs> They still don't have it. <laughs> so anyway, all that to say, Becky's competitive, and maybe I am a little bit too. And so, um, but I did not go all the way over the table to get to the person. So that's all on you. Well, I did not cheat. <laughs> I love you, Becky. <laughs> We're still friends, everyone. And you will know it by the second story that I have to tell. <laughs> the second story I have to tell could potentially make me cry a little bit, but oh. I'm going to try <clears throat> to keep it together. Okay. So um, we've told you before that Becky and I worked at the same um, place for several years, the same ministry. And um, Becky was working at the ministry when my husband Brent got diagnosed with cancer and it's a very odd thing that maybe we'll talk about later that when someone in your family gets sick everyone's attention goes on to that sick person and that's the way it should be and that's the right way it should be but I can say from experience that there's a whole lot happening in the non-sick person as well and it's it's hard to to express that because it just feels selfish. Um, and so there was a lot of things going on with Brent and he was, you know, he was being told that his illness was terminal, terminal and he just set his mind that he was gonna beat it. But my mind was going, okay, if it is terminal, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? And what does that mean for the possessions that we have in the world? And what does that mean for our children? And what does it mean for staying in ministry? And all these things were going through my head on a regular basis. But I was trying to be quiet about it and not worry. Um, and I worked at that time in the seminary and I was, I had my own little office there. And I remember one day, Becky, you walked in and we we needed to talk about something about work. But somewhere in there, I think you must have asked me how I was doing. And I was having a really hard moment right then. And I, I started crying. 
it it makes me feel so sad that I started crying because you're what 20 years younger than me and you were <laughs> single and I think you were thinking about getting married at that time and your life was just not in a place to have to worry about my worries but um I started crying and I just said I just don't know what to how to get my mind around this what will become of me at that time my children were both in school in the states and had both gone to study in the states saying that they would probably not be coming mm -hmm. back to mexico so yeah. at that time i i was alone in mexico um with with a sick husband and wondering what was it going to become of me and i remember becky just listening kindly kindly to me and then we just kind of sat there in a little bit of quiet for a few minutes. And then you said, Becky, I don't really know if this is the moment to say this to you, but Hans and I have talked about you and what you mean to us. And I just want you to know that you are never alone that we that you belong to us and we're here for you and I don't even have the words to say what that did for me I just knew from that moment on I I didn't have to worry about being alone and I was so grateful for it and I'm so amazed that a person in your phase of life um, could have said that to someone in my phase of life and it it made a huge difference for me and I'm so grateful thank uh, you well it's it's still true <laughs> thank you I feel that it's true and I believed you and I think that's why it, it made a difference so as you can see, <laughs> Becky and I have a very broad <laughs> relationship, <laughs> and we dearly love one another. So without further ado, I'd like to just get started asking you some questions, Becky. All right. I know that we talked about this on our teaser episode a little bit, but uh -huh. just really quickly sum up who you are for us. Okay. Well, I am Becky. And I've been living in Mexico for 14 years. I just had last week was my 14th anniversary here in Mexico. Oh, I know. Congratulations. Um, and I'm married to Hans, who is does not have a Mexican name, but he is Mexican. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk a little bit about um, him later on in this in this episode. But he's the best. Just the best. <laughs> the best. I, I did well. Yes. I chose well. Yes, you did. Um, and then we have a four-year-old little girl, Maddie, who is also just she's fun she's all pink and frilly princess and <laughs> ballet right now and she's just fun um and so yeah that's our little family and hans and i do youth camp ministry that's our biggest ministry hans has a like a nine to five job he's a principal of a local elementary elementary school here but then we also get to do ministry together um which is our youth camp ministry and i'm enjoying my life oh you have a good life that's for sure um, tell me, tell us just a little bit about uh -huh. your background. Where do you come from? So I grew up in California in this little teeny tiny town, which Allison likes to call it La Small. Um, <laughs> but really it is pretty small, Le like less than 2000 people live there. We have no stoplights. It's just this little teeny tiny town. Um, and I loved growing up there. I love kind of a small town feel. 
And I grew up in a Christian home. My parents are wonderful and have always been supportive. And my dad and my brother are real life cowboys. I have one older brother and he, um, that's, that's what he does. He's a cowboy, like kind of like you see in the movies. Um, it's fun to go visit him, fun to talk about him. Um, yeah, and my parents have always been really supportive of missions. My mom kind of, my mom jokes that as she was growing up, she always wanted, dreamed of being either a missionary or a cowgirl. And she ended up being a nurse, and she's a wonderful nurse, but her two kids are missionary and a cowboy. So God kind of gave her her <laughs> desires just a generation later. Um, but yeah, that's my, my family is wonderful. They're very supportive. Hopefully someday you can meet some of them on the podcast. And they're, they're just the best. I just love your family. There's truly not a sweeter family on the face of the earth. Um, I have told her parents several times that I just think they're perfect. They don't like it <laughs> when I say that they're perfect, but really, you would have to agree with me if you knew them. So, Becky, how did a small town girl from California get to Mexico? Tell us that story. All right. I will try to sum up because, you know, it's a long story. Um, <laughs> it started our, my family's relationship with Mexico and specifically with Agua Viva started through my grandfather, my dad's dad. He was um, somehow through, through a mutual friend, got to know the founder of the ministry. And um, he just fell in love with the ministry and the vision and was really involved in the first years of Agua Viva. And then because of him, my dad and mom started bringing a group from their church. We would come down once a week um, every year to do kind of your typical short-term mission trip. We would do a vacation Bible school and a construction project um, and work together with the local church. And so I started coming. I was six years old the first, very first year that they brought me down. And I just fell in love with it. It was like my favorite week every year. It was what I looked forward to. I remember when I was in high school, um, my parents felt called to change churches and which it was the right thing to do. They were making the right decision, but I was, you know, 15 and not happy about it. And mm -hmm. so I told them and I told them that the only way that I was going to agree to be okay with this whole thing is if they kept going to Mexico. And so they did. <laughs> they said, "Okay, we'll do it. We'll start going with our new church." So they did. And we kept coming down. Um, but I never planned on staying here any longer than just a week at a time. Um, being a full-time missionary in Mexico was never part of my plan. <laughs> um, but when I was on, when I was in college, I was 19-ish. I came down and spent a summer on summer staff, and you were my boss that summer, Allison. <laughs> yes. And that was a fun, fun summer. But it was really then when I felt God kind of started to change my heart and change... Um, not change the plans that he had for me because those were always the same, but kind of started to reveal those plans to me. And so I went home to finish. I had one year of college left. I went home to finish college and then decided that um, I was crazy, that there was no way I was going to move to Mexico, that that was just the craziest thing. It was, I decided that it was kind of an emotions and that that was just it. Um, but God continued to make it clear to me that, that Mexico is where he wanted me. And so I finally gave in and said, all right, God, I will give you one year of my life, just one. And then I'm going to come back home and I'm going to keep going with my plan. 
And so I, so I talked to Allison's husband, Brent, who at the time was the director of Agua Viva, and told, <laughs> felt like I was this amazingly generous person because I told him, Brent, I'm going to give you this whole year of my life, and here you go. Do with it what you want. Put me to work. And he kind of smiled at me, and he said, well, that's really great, except that if you want to come to Agua Viva, um, you need to commit to three years. And so, so I said, all right, then I'm not coming. That's it. Um, that's, that's my sign from God that I'm not supposed to come. <laughs> and I went back home again. And, um, it was when I heard a sermon at one of our college, I was still in the last year of college and I heard a sermon and the pastor talked about, um, when Peter jumped out of the boat, when he saw Jesus walking on the water and Je and he said, Jesus, if it's that, if that's you call me to walk on the water with you. And so Jesus did. And he called him, and Peter didn't hesitate. He didn't think about it. He didn't think to himself, this is crazy. I can't walk on water. Jesus called him, and so he jumped. He did what Jesus what Jesus was asking him to do. And the pastor said, how many of you are being called to jump out from, to jump from your boat and are not doing it? When God calls you to jump, the best thing is to obey and to jump. Oh, wow. And so I know. So I cried and cried and cried and cried, and then I decided that I was going to jump and I was going to commit to three years and um, three years and one day and I was packing my bags and I was moving back home. <laughs> so I kind of moved down, kicking and screaming a little bit, um, but I was trying to be obedient. And 14 years later, I'm still here and I'm so, so glad that I was obedient um, right, up, right out of college. So I graduated college in May and moved down in September. And oh here my. I am. Oh my. I remember when you were in that process and how much we were excited about you coming down. And it was great to have you. Super great to have you. Um, but, you know, I talked a little bit before about how it is being a single woman in ministry and and I'm just barely in that life. Mm -hmm. And you did it before, before having the support that I have already in place. So tell, tell a little bit about that. Uh, it was hard. It was hard. Those first, especially those first six months were really hard. The first years were hard, but the first six months were the hardest. Uh, there were several times that I started to pack my suitcases because I was done. I was just done in Mexico. Um, and part of, part of the problem, as you'll get to know me, you'll learn that I am extremely extroverted. I love being around people. That's kind of my lifeblood. Um, and so I was around people a lot, but I couldn't talk to most of them. I didn't speak any Spanish when I moved down. And so I was around all these wonderful people, but couldn't communicate with them. There were a few Americans on staff. You and Brent were here, and there was one other... Um, single American woman who is a dear friend uh, but you you had your life already and so I was moving down and um, that that loneliness was hard it was it, that was one of the harder things that I think I've overcome in my time here was just those first months of learning to rely completely on God um, and just learning to trust his plan for my life and and to continue being obedient and staying here even when all of my heart and all of my soul wanted to be elsewhere. Um, but God always gave me. He always gave me what I needed. He's, he is, it wasn't always what I wanted, but it was always, he always gave me what I needed and he's faithful. 
Um, and one of those things about when I was here for about six months, another single American girl moved down, Melissa. And she was just, her friendship is, is just the biggest gift from God. Um, we got to kind of go through learning the language together and culture shock together and making friends together. And so that was um, what part of the part of why I was I made it through those first years was my friendship with Melissa. But it was hard. I desired that companionship for a mm-hmm. long time. Yeah. Um, but God, it was hard, but God was faithful and um, he didn't he didn't call me to do something that was impossible for me because I was able to lean on him. Yeah, that's pretty, that's a pretty big part of early missionary work, don't you think, is just that really, truly, no holds barred leaning into God. I think so, and I think um, you can choose to lean into God, or you can choose to lean into other things, and that kind of sets your, sets the foundation for the rest of your time in, a, in that country, and I'm so grateful that um, I chose to lean into God. I am too. It was it was sweet to see. So how long was it before you learned Spanish and started to make friends with your Spanish? Um, it was probably, I could have kind of a basic conversation after maybe a year or so, but it was probably um, around two years before I could kind of start to go deeper with people and really form those friendships. Oh man, you were... You were fast then. I think I cried for five years about. Well, I was a baby to too. I was twenty-one when I moved down yeah, here, and so that young. I was young. That makes a difference too. Yeah, yeah, that does. Um, so I need you to tell something about your time in the beginning that you would say now is a cultural faux pas. Okay, yeah. One, so the the one thing that comes to mind, I'm sure that I made way more the faux pas than this, but the one that comes to mind um, in those early years when I was first starting to be able to speak some Spanish, and of course the first thing I wanted to do was invite everybody to go everywhere with me because who wants to do things by themselves, right? <laughs> when you can do them with other people. So I would invite people, but you know, I wanted to be nice and say, kind of give people an out if they didn't want to go do something. Um, so I would always say, come, let I want to come invite you to have dinner or whatever it was. But if you can't go, you know, it's okay. Don't worry about it. If you have other plans, whatever, don't worry about it. Uh, and so I had said that, I don't know, for maybe like a year and a half had been inviting people to go do things with me that way. And finally, one of the people who had become a close friend to me, uh, he worked at Agua Viva with us. He said, Becky, I need to tell you something. And so I said, okay, what? And he goes, you've got to stop saying that. You've got to stop telling people, but it's okay if you can't go. Because in in our minds, in a Mexican mind, what that means is that I'm inviting you because I have to, but I don't really don't want you to go. <gasps> so this whole time, I had thought I'd been inviting people to do things with me, but really I'd been telling them, I'm, I'm just trying to be polite, but I really don't want you to go. Oh, my. I know. So after, I died about five times that day, and then he taught me the right way to say it. Oh, yay. Oh, my. That wasn't Hans, though, right? That was someone else. No, it wasn't. That was someone else. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell us about Hans. Tell us the whole, a little bit about the whole Hans story. So, Hans, um, I met him... When I I was here, I think I had been here for about a year. So we met in 2007-ish. 
um, at a mutual friend's birthday party. And the reason that we became friends at that party was because he spoke English. He was the only person there that spoke English and I was still struggling in my Spanish. So the, um, the people there knew that we'd be able to talk to each other. So they were kind and told me to go sit over at his table. So I sat down at his table and the, and we hit it off immediately. We were just friends, um, good friends. And he, I think in our first conversation, he taught me the, the correct way to eat a taco. If you ever need taco <laughs> eating lessons, Hans, Hans is your guy. So I learned how to eat a taco and then we were just friends. We were friends for the next, I think six years. Um, there was always a kind of a spark there, but mm -hmm. it was, it just never was the right time. He was dating someone else and then I was dating someone else. And then we finally were both single at the same time and both living in the same city and both interested at the same time. And so we started dating in 2013. So we had, we were friends, good, good friends for six years and did ministry and youth camp together and, um, really got to know each other first and then dated for a year. And then got married in 2014. Oh, gosh. And your wedding was just the best. I'm going to just keep saying that for the rest <laughs> of my life. It was just the best wedding. So I re what I remember about in all that time is that Hans was really fun-loving and competitive. Yeah. And, and just really stood out when he used to come to our youth camps because he was so such a leader and so fun and so he's like i think he's kind of like legendary because i didn't his team always win oh he's always he is he's uh -huh. legendary i remembered glancing over at him when he was kind of young and he was just full throttle whatever he was doing <laughs> he was doing it like 200 percent more than the next person and i just remember staring at him and thinking wow that's some kid well anyway all that to say that you guys are a very good match in my opinion i'm so glad you got married <laughs> thank you <laughs> so you were you still working at agua viva when you got married yes i was i had when let's see so i came down in 2006 to give you kind of a timeline i came down to mexico in 2006 and then I got married in 2014 and was still working at Agua Viva and then continued to work there for about a year after I got married, after we got married. And so how long, how many years were you on full-time staff? Nine years altogether. Wow, nine years. And why are you not now at Agua Viva? So I'm not on full-time staff any longer because I got pregnant and we had our baby. I had always dreamed of being a stay-at-home mom and so we sat down and worked it out and figured out how to do that. And so I, uh, Maddie was born in December of 2015. And so I left full-time staff, I think, in October or something of that year oh, to get to be yay. at home. And Stay Maddie home is worth it. Maddie is a special girl. She was worth it, yeah. I was, I was happy with that decision. Yeah. So are you still involved with Agua Viva or...? What's, what's up with that? Yeah, I am. Hans and I um, are the directors of the youth camp. So Jason, the current director of, of Agua Viva, the whole ministry, was kind enough to us when we sat down with him to tell him that I was going to leave full-time staff. He gave us, he asked, what, what's your favorite thing? What do you love to do? And we both immediately said, we love youth camp. <laughs> um, and mind you, the day that we sat down with him was Friday of a youth camp. So we were exhausted. 
exhausted, exhausted. And I was like four months pregnant. And I mean, if we were going to hate youth camp at any time, that would have been the day. And, but we said, we love youth camp. We want to keep doing it. And so he said, all right, I I want you to keep doing it. I want you to be involved as, as you want to be. And so, um, we weren't, didn't, weren't the directors of youth camp right away, but then a few years later, he asked us if we would step up and lead the whole, that whole area of the ministry. And so we're doing that and we love it. Yeah. And you're good at it. And you were always great at it as, as non-directors as well. (laughs) So it's a natural step. Um, so what do youth camps look like? Tell, tell our listeners what it is that you yeah. do exactly. Yeah. So if you've been to a youth camp, any youth camp anywhere in the world, it probably looks really similar to what our youth camps at Agua Viva look like. Um, for years and years and years, we've had two youth camps a year. One is during the kids' spring break, and then the other one is during summer. And it's from, for ages 13 to 19 years old, they spend a week at camp. We do, we play games, have a speaker come in, um, a praise band, and we do crazy things like we make them spit crickets and stuff like that. <laughs> oh um, my gosh. So yeah, we do two, two a year. And then this last year, we just added a third one, a winter camp, which is a weekend long camp in the wintertime. Aww. So it's, it's fun. Tell one part of doing youth camps that's really special to your heart. Oh my gosh, I'm a planner. I love to plan. I I'm a I work out the details. Hans kind of has the big vision and then I get to sit down and work out the details. And my just absolute favorite part is in the days the few days before camp starts and then the first day of camp when it's kind of like we see everything we've been planning all those months and months and months all of a sudden it becomes a reality and the the stage decoration and the um, different fun activities we have planned for the kids when we actually get to hit the pavement and make them happen and just put everything into God's hands. It kind of feels like, okay, we, we did all that we could do. Here you go, God, take it over. Oh, <laughs> and that's, that's, a, that's my favorite moment of yeah, the whole week. Awesome. And you know, that's exactly the kind of person that we would want you know, us collectively as all Christians in the world, that's exactly the kind of people that we would want to do youth camps is the people that get so excited about that. So, okay, Beck, tell us, what is, what else do people need to know about you? Tell us something new. Yeah, I love to bake. Yes. Love to bake. Um, I love to play volleyball. Oh, yes. I love to play volleyball. Um, I love Jesus and I'm learning to know him better all the time. Um, and I just, I am content. I'm learning and working on being content in my life right now. And I think that's one of the big things that God has been teaching me recently is to, um, to just be content with what he's given me and be content in the life that he's blessed me with. And I am and I'm so, so happy uh, that he's brought me to Mexico. And I'm so happy that he gave me my amazing husband and mm-hmm. beautiful daughter. Um, and I'm so excited to be doing this podcast. I know. It's been something that we've been talking about for pro- maybe close to a year. Wow. Several months, at least. Almost a year, I think. Yeah. And it's fun to actually sit down and get to do it. I feel like I feel like in the beginning, we used to just kind of hit each other on the shoulder and say, hey, we should do a podcast together. And then we started taking ourselves seriously, I think. Yeah. yeah. So it's fun. Yeah. 
I'm glad. Um, I wanted to close by asking you the last couple times we've we've been doing one of these episodes um, I've been explaining kind of my perspective on love crosses cultures but I would love to hear from you how you see it mm-hmm. um I well my perspective is probably similar to yours but I think that even though there's so many different languages and so many different cultures, so many different traditions. One thing that I've seen in my time here in Mexico is that um, people are good at loving me even when I blow it in this culture. People were good at loving me. They loved me well before I could communicate with mm-hmm. them. Um, and I think our, I don't know, my hope in doing this podcast and talking about how love crosses cultures is that um, our world is so divisive. There's things that are dividing us left and right, um, politics and different opinions about things, and even should I wear a mask, should I not wear a mask during the coronavirus. Um, but the I think the one thing that, this is probably going to sound cheesy, but um, we can work on loving each other better. And letting especially christians letting god's love shine through us and letting the rest of the world see see how we can love well and so um, when we talk about love crossing cultures we are talking about actual international cultures but we're also talking about cultures of um, one family cultures and of different families or different beliefs one your family may do things one way and my family Mm -hmm. may do things another way um, but that's okay. We can still love each other and not agree all the time. Um, love can cross those different cultures. Very well said. True. True in so many ways. Well, with that, we conclude our second episode, Woo! our episode of Getting to Know Becky. Um, thank you, Becky. You are you are a light in so many lives, and Aww. I'm blessed to know you. I'm personally blessed. My family is blessed, has been blessed for many, many years with your friendship. And I also am excited to be doing this podcast with you. So with that, we'll just say one more time, love crosses cultures, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, friends. Bye. If you like what you listen to, please subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Two American Peas in a Mexican Pod. Look for a new podcast to release every other Friday. And remember, love crosses cultures.